something for me. I'm time challenged here this morning, but I want to do this. Her husband, Rob, quiet. That's her last name, quiet. I never tell her I want her to be quiet. <laughs> uh, he's been diagnosed with cancer, a serious case. And uh, she said, she said she's received so many cards and words of encouragement from the congregation, and that doesn't really surprise me. That's this church. And uh, she's just overwhelmed by it all. So in her behalf, I'm thanking you, all of you, and I'm sure some of those were not even here. Well, God bless you. A church where people care and truth matters. Now we get to the truth matters part. Let's go to John chapter 4, the end of the chapter. It's a great narrative, great story, a great story. So let me read. Just a minute before we read, will you put up that map uh, up there, Don? I want us to get a little geographical perspective. Now, down here at the bottom, you see the Dead Sea. Up there... At the top, the bigger one, that is the Sea of Galilee. Down here in the south, that's Judea. Then you go up to the middle, that middle ground, that is Samaria. And up there around the Sea of Galilee, that area is Galilee. Now, most of you knew that, but there are always people here who are unfamiliar with the Bible, and the geography kind of throws them. So south, middle, Samaria, and then Galilee. Jesus did most of his ministry in the, up there around the Sea of Galilee. And the map is too small for us to see it, but right there, close to the Sea of Galilee at the north, there is up in the mountains over here a little town by the name of Cana, C-A-N-A. And then right to the northwest, let's go on up, Don, if you can, Right up there, the Sea of Galilee, just to the northwest, a little town by the name of Cana. And then there is, right at the northwest of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, the town of Capernaum. And Jesus did a lot of his ministry in that area. So when you see these geographical references, it may help. Okay, let's go to... Verse 43 of chapter 4, and we will read. And after two days, he went forth from there, Samaria, into Galilee. For he himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What is that all about? What does that mean? We'll get to it. So when he came to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, the Galileans all of a sudden they received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem for the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast, as did most Jews. He came, therefore, again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain official whose son was sick at Capernaum, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee been there several times. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and into Galilee, he went to him 
this nobleman, he was requesting Jesus to come down. It's about 24 miles. That's a little trip. Not a big one, but for those days. And heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, but he's really speaking over him to the whole crowd. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Trust in him. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Let's not quibble here. I've got an urgency. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him. They wanted to calm his fears. Your son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when the son began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, 1 p.m., the fever broke and left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. I know what he said in Hebrew. Wow. And he himself believed. What's that mean? What he already believed. We'll get to that. And his whole household. This is again the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The first one was making the water wine. Okay. I've got some slides up here that will help you a little bit. I want to say, first of all, that human nature is always an obstacle to God's work. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is on his way out of Samaria up into Galilee. And then it is noted by Jesus as he went up there, a rationale. A prophet has no honor in his own country. He had done a great work in Samaria. We've talked about that the last. So he delayed going into Galilee, which were really God's people, people of the theocracy. Why did he delay? Well, because there wasn't much belief in him at this moment, prior to this moment up in Galilee. That's human nature. People have sinful hearts. Darkness clouds the soul. There's little faith in Jesus when he presents himself. Well, so when they came to Galilee, the Galileans all of a sudden received him. Jesus said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. We have a saying for it. Familiarity breeds contempt. You've seen it. I mean, you. Uh, when I was growing up in West Virginia, I almost played basketball with Jerry West, but we moved. He was good, but he was not what he became. I mean, familiarity bred contempt. He would game after game, 35 points, 40 points. That was back in 1955. Now you look back. I always said it was good for him that I moved because I'd overshadowed him. <laughs> anyway, 
that's the way it is of human nature. You get up close to somebody. I've seen it. You've seen it all life. And they're really outstanding, but you're a neighbor. You're a friend. You don't know how great they are. You just don't know who is in front of you lots of times, who's beside you. Jesus knew that in Galilee there was no rush. There was no faith. But now all of a sudden, in Jerusalem and here in Samaria, word had begun to get around. And suddenly there was an uptick in faith of some kind. And now he goes into Galilee. They now understand something about his greatness. They don't understand much, but they do understand about his miracles. The next thing I want to call attention to is our God, who is the master of providential conjunctions. When he moved up to Galilee, he was he came again to Cana where he made the water wine. Well, there was a certain royal official who was sick, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee. Well, he made a beeline to get to him for he was requesting that he come and heal his son. He was at the point of death. It always amazes me in life how our Lord so manages our lives and our movements and our times and our seasons in life that a plan comes together. It's a beautiful thing to watch. There was a nobleman. He was somehow connected with the palace of Herod Antipas. We don't know exactly what his position was. But it's really interesting that he comes to Jesus, this itinerant prophet, teacher, so to speak. And he's the one bowing at the feet of Jesus rather than the other way around. And he is very desperate. He wants Jesus somehow, some way, to get himself down to Capernaum, 24 miles away, and heal his son. Well, the next thing we see is desperation. We see it here. It's a conduit of God's work. Sometimes the Lord has to put us there. The son was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, have you ever been speaking? I'm sure you have. I certainly have in life. You're speaking to a person, but there are others gathered around and actually... You're speaking sort of to them, but you're speaking to all the people who have ears around. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's kind of shaking his head. That's why he didn't rush into Galilee. He said, uh, I appreciate you asking me. I appreciate your confidence in me. You know, the problem is you people up here in Galilee, you profess to be God's people. But you won't believe, you won't trust in me unless that trust is supported by signs and wonders. Miracle works. That's not good. By the way, let me stop. We're living in a day when 
there's a lot of Pentecostalism. Not, not, all, not all of it is bad. But there's a lot of it that is. And there's a big sector of these people that just make everything out of signs and wonders. Do you notice what Jesus says here? The greater faith, the faith that is commendatory, is the faith that does hang its hat on signs and wonders. Who just believes in him and trusts in him and takes his word. But desperation, sometimes you get it. Sometimes I get it. Some of you people have stuff coming from you from all directions. Austin, I know all about that. And there's kind of a despair. You go to the Lord in your desperation. Despair can often be a platform for God's work in your life when everything is going bad. That's what's here. All right, let's hit the next panel. Move it on. Narrow faith is a springboard to broader faith. This nobleman came to Jesus. He did not know him like Jesus' disciples did, but he knew him well enough to know that this man was of God, he thought, and he had heard, maybe seen, some of these marvelous powers that were at work through him. So he's not ashamed to come and bow at Jesus' feet and ask him to heal his son, for he was confident that he could do that. He did not know him as the Redeemer God sent into the world. He did not know him as God's son at this point. He did not know him as the Messiah. He had a very narrow need, and it was a desperate need, and he needed Jesus to do what Jesus did, quick. So Jesus kind of challenged everybody around, and he challenged also this man. You know, you people just will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. Shouldn't have taken that if there weren't a certain hardness of heart. Well, I like what the man did. I got to put it in more contemporary language. To him, Jesus appears to be stalling. Let's move it up one. Divine stalling. Do you ever feel like God's stalling in your problems? You're praying, you're praying, and you're praying, and somehow you feel like you're not getting through. Somehow it seems like God's not going to answer. Folks, I've had prayers out there for 22 years. It appears to this man that the Lord is for some reason stalling. He has an urgency. It's this boy back in Capernaum. Lord, I'm not here for a theological discussion, for splitting hairs. I got a kid down there that's about to die. I need you to come. So we have desperation and now we have on his part a feeling that God is delaying things Jesus is God 
But I want to tell you that this is a tactic that the Lord often uses in order to stretch our faith. Some people despair because the Lord doesn't answer immediately. Jesus is actually pretty quick here. When therefore, Jesus therefore said to him, you know, you people always want to see signs and wonders. You will not believe without them. The official said to him, sir, come down before my kid dies. Can we get on with this? He had all confidence that Jesus could do that. I and you many times have all confidence that God can do whatever. But Lord, the meter is running. The clock is running. Something bad's going to happen if you don't get on this soon. And talking like that, I mean no disrespect to our Lord. It's just the way, it's the phenomenal language, the language of appearance. That's the way it seemed. Well, the next panel. Testing. Jesus is going to see, and he wants to see with you and me. You hear that? With you and me. Oftentimes that's what's going on. He wants to see if we will take him at his word. So all of a sudden Jesus says, okay, I'm going to test you. Go your way. Head back to Capernaum. Get in your Mercedes and shoot down the hill. And guess what? Your son lives. The man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him. They were on the way up. And they said, Sir, your son is living. He did not die. We thought yesterday it was over, but it wasn't. You and I, as we walk with God, as we walk with Christ, I tell you, some of you are young believers. Some of you are not believers at all. We're so glad you're here. But if you're going to know Jesus, if you're going to know the living God in his son, I tell you, you just can't shoot up little arrows. Oh, God, do this, do that, and test God. He's going to test you. And sometimes you may be put on hold. But with the very young in the Lord or those just coming to the Lord, sometimes he's a lot quicker until he grows and stretches your faith. But in the end, here's what he wants. I've learned this. I've been at this a lot longer than most of you. (laughs) A lot longer. And Aussie and I have learned that what the Lord wants us to do, he wants our faith in him, but he wants us to learn to take him at his word. Just do what he says. I'm going to give you just a couple of little examples, taking him at his word. 
In Matthew chapter 6, right at the end of the chapter, the Lord says to people who were anxious about everything going, anybody here got any anxiety? Okay. Now, some of those things God's going to deal with, and some of them he's not. He's got his reasons. But we have these anxieties, and we pray. And here's one. The Lord says to us who believe in him, what I want you to do is seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to get your priorities in line. I don't care what he does care. But you know, I'm speaking in a human way. I don't care what all's going on in your life right now. I want you to resolve right here and right now that I'm going to seek first the kingdom, the rule of God in my life. And I'm going to seek his righteousness. I'm going to seek to grow into that where I'm doing the righteousness of God by faith. I'm one of, and all these things that you need will be added unto you. The other day, I was listening by chance to an attractive young woman, Christian woman on a TV channel just passed by. I stopped. I heard the God word or something, and I wanted to listen to that. She had come out of college, and she was kind of an entrepreneur, and she had been very successful, very successful. And she was a young gal. She had made a habit, kind of like Aussie and I did early on, like I saw from my parents. She had made a habit of tithing her income, which was considerable. Then she lost her job. Circumstances did not permit her to, the time did not permit her to go into all of that. And then she uh, said, or somebody said, there was another person there, right through it all, as her income dived, plunged, she kept right on tithing, honoring God. Then everything at a certain time down the road flipped around, and she was mega successful. Now, God doesn't always promise that. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, that just has to do with our resources. But there are so many other things in the spread of our life across the spectrum. Where it's an issue, will you do this or will you do that? Are you afraid? God wants you to honor him. First, first, first. Not your mama, not your papa, not your children. First. Seek ye first his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Says, you're familiar with these scriptures. Romans chapter 8. God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. The Lord does something that we don't, look, I'm right there with you. The Lord does something, we call it bad. We don't expect it and we don't want it. And it happens and we go, 
Oh, Lord God, what are you doing to me? Please, please, no, 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 no. (coughs) Been there, done that. He wants you, just as he wants a rich nobleman, to take him at his word. The Lord says, what did I say? I said all things, including this, work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. i got to quicken my pace here, but I need one other illustration. It's so good. I know many of you have heard it, but it sure fits the bill right here. It's that Corey Tenboom illustration. She and her sister Betsy were in this terrible, terrible German barracks where they were doing anything and everything to these people. But they couldn't figure out why the German guards didn't invade their barracks more than they did and do all these terrible things to the female inmates. And they were praying one evening, the two sisters. And uh, Betsy started thanking God Give thanks to him and everything. Betsy started thanking God for the fleas or the gnats or whatever they were. They were just eating them up. And Corey Timbu <laughs> was more of my spirit. Oh, come on, Betty. Betsy, let's get real. These things are eating us up. And she said, sis, says God said in all things, give thanks. So she didn't withdraw her prayer. Then shortly after, as they were milling around, they were standing at the door. Guards were just outside, and they heard one guard, one of those vicious, savage guards say, I don't like to go in there because of all the fleas. All things work good, sometimes even fleas, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm sure if you've walked with God many times, you've seen stuff that hurt you very bad for you felt very bad about. And then some later time it comes along. I see God's good purpose in that. I've had a lot of stuff, still have a lot of stuff. So has Aussie. Sometimes costs us sleep. But even so, we look back. I could not pastor this church if we hadn't been through those things. I couldn't look some of you people in the eye when I see what you're going through if we hadn't had to go through those things. We don't have to blush. Testing. God wants you to grow to mature in faith to the point that you'll just take him at his word. The remarkable thing is This nobleman's faith had kind of grown up how, where, we don't know. And Jesus said, your son lives. Good enough for me. I'm out of here. I'm on my way to Capernaum. Well, then he goes down the road. Like I say, I don't know his conveyance. It It wasn't a Range Rover. But he was going down. I imagine he had, he wasn't walking. He could have gotten down there in a few hours on some animal or maybe being a nobleman in some chariot-like thing. Anyway, his servants met him. 
you can move this on. His servants met him down the road. Said, Master, we couldn't wait to tell you your son's going to be okay. He lives. Go ahead and move that. He lives and he said to him, "Uh, tell me, when did he get well? When did the fever go away? They said yesterday, about one o'clock. And he believed, what it meant is that he believed, we see that several times in Scripture, he believed with a higher and greater intensity. Wow. And the father knew that at that hour, if Jesus said to him, your son lives. I want to call one thing to your attention. Peace. It's the fruit of simple trust in Christ. 24 miles down there, this man, I take it, if you put together the timeline, this nobleman must have gone down the road a ways and stayed overnight. You notice it was yesterday. It didn't have to be an overnight trip just for him. What did he have on the basis of Jesus' word? Peace like a river. He took the Lord at his word. He didn't rush to Capernaum. The next day, his servants met him and said, he's okay, he's fine. When did that happen? Not because he really doubted it, anything, but just to prove to himself if needed that it was no coincidence. Wow. He knew it. Let's go to the next slide. Peace. When we trust in God, look, I bet if I sound like a contradiction here, when we trust in the Lord, we just take him at his word. We do what we know the Bible tells us in a given situation we ought to do. Whether it's an ethical thing, whether it's a moral thing, a financial thing, a marriage thing, or whatever. If we just listen to God's word, which is given to us through his spirit and holy men of old, if we just listen to it and we just do it, no matter what the cost. Man, it was a great cost for this man to walk away from Jesus, wasn't it? He was the one who could heal. Good enough for me, I'm out of here. Back to Capernaum. And apparently he had sufficient peace to rest overnight along the way. It was only 24 miles less than from here to Salem. Peace. I may sound like a contradiction when I talk about these things happening to us. We go, oh, no. When I say... Sometimes we don't sleep at night because of this or that or the other. We're anxious, lying away. How am I going to deal with this? But what you don't know is where we would be if we didn't have the peace of Christ. We're not perfect. We shouldn't worry, but we do. We shouldn't be anxious. But sometimes we get anxious, but you have no idea knowing the personality what it would be like if it weren't that way. I live with so much peace. Aussie lives with so much peace. Sometimes I wonder how. But yet, it doesn't keep her from waking up in the morning. I go into her in the middle of the night. We change beds. That's as long as she can stand me. And so we go in there about 5 o'clock, sometimes 6 I climb in bed with her. I can tell from the atmosphere around the bed. 
things are not good. I am so mad. So mad. But she gets a shower and she's fine. (laughs) She's fine. So it goes like that. Let's be real here. It goes like that. The peace of God, when we just know we're doing the right thing, sometimes we have to remind each other that. Say, oh, say, you know we did the right thing. Seemed to go wrong, but we did the right thing. God knows that. We know that. Let's be at peace. You do that. And you can be at peace. Heavy stuff is going to hit us. It's life. And behind it all is the sovereign providence of our God. We're not going to skate into our rendezvous with the second coming of Christ. Life can get a little sketchy, can get a little hard. Take him at his word. You'll not be anxiety-free. You'll not be wordy. There's no such life. But there's a good life. And as I've told you a dozen times, I, all that said, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's on earth. I'd like to dump this or dump, dump that along. But take it all in a package, I wouldn't trade it for anybody. Many of you will say the same thing. Peace. Well, impact. We're about done here. I want, to, I want you to see it sharing our story of his saving work. Do you notice when this man met up with these folks, you know how far I'd like to throw this thing. That happens about every Sunday. I don't know what it is about my waistline. <laughs> well, I do know. What. Just a minute here, folks. I'm about to lose my cool. Contradict everything I just said. <laughs> I'll hold the dumb thing. I want you to notice that when this guy got met up with his slaves, they said, hey, boss, it's okay. The boy's going to live. He's fine. He said, "Uh, when did that happen? Well, one o'clock yesterday. One o'clock. That's exactly when the teacher told me, your son lives. Then what do you think the guy did? We know because the text goes on to say he believed more intensely and his whole household. So what did he do? He didn't say, well, that's an interesting story. I'll write that down in my diary this evening. He said, hey, people, I've got a story for you. Let me tell you what happened. And then he told the story of the work of Jesus. That's what the church here, there, and everywhere is called to do, is to tell our story of the work of the Lord God through Jesus in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to run out into Portland, grab everybody we can find. Here, I got a story to tell you. No, we use common sense. But when God gives us a window, gives us opportunity, look, we don't have to be a theologian. Those people weren't theologians. A nobleman, he's a, he was a 
politician. But he just told what Jesus did. You know, there are things like that that we run into. And we, you can believe it or not believe it. Some of you can say the same thing that I'm saying. Perhaps many of you. You know nobody's going to believe this. When I tell the story or use that illustration, whatever it is, I could give you dozens. But when I tell that story, they'll think, well, that's a crafted illustration. I'm sure it wasn't quite like that when it was exactly like that. We don't have to defend it. We just tell what the Lord has done for us. We talk about a changed life. We don't have to defend it. They can believe or not believe it, but it's a changed life. Let's just tell the story. Let's just commit to that when we go out into the streets. You've got a story to tell. A lot of, a lot of people here. I look back here at Amir and Manaz. I've heard their story. Iraq and Iran. Yeah, he was a soldier in the Iranian army. And the story of his salvation. And now they're over here. And they're just bright lights in our midst. And there are other stories here in this congregation. We all know the story of David. And others, we could go on. God has changed their lives. Change your life. Well, I'm not saying run out into the streets and grab a placard, but where you have, you've got coworkers, you've got friends and you've got relatives, people you talk to, people who are in despair, people who are hurting, people who are desperate. If you had a medicine that cured you of some dread disease and you ran into somebody else who had a similar condition, what would you say? Well, look, I can't tell you you can believe this or not. I'm just going to tell you for whatever it's worth. And they may go, oh. I've had people tell me when I've had something more serious wrong, you tried beeswax. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. Impact. The Lord got his full share out of that. The whole household believed on the basis of the testimony of their boss. Wonderful story. But you've got similar stories. Not exactly, maybe not quite as dramatic, but you've got similar stories. Tell those stories, what God has done for you. Some of you here do not know the Lord. You don't know what you're missing in knowing Jesus. I'm not talking about just when Jesus comes again, but right now your life could be so much better, so much less miserable, so much less anxiety riven. You won't lose anxieties. You won't lose that stuff if you just knew him. Come to Jesus. Repent. Put your faith in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the glory of the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much that we know you, the Father in heaven, as a result of the redemptive work of your Son, and through the work of your spirit in our hearts, creating in us a seed of living faith, and you've nurtured it and you've brought it 
to more maturity. We pray that we will not lose our opportunity to have impact for you by sharing with the little world around us the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work. In his name we pray, amen. I'm here this morning. You want to come up here, Daniel? I'm here this morning because uh, we are going to commission our 2022 Oaxaca mission team. Many of you I can see sitting here probably don't even know what I'm talking about, but the church has been engaged uh, for almost 24 years in going to Oaxaca in a particular area where there is a opportunity for outreach there that is probably unmatched anywhere in the world. It's an opportunity for us that is very much like the sermon that you have just heard. I think any of us who have been going down there, and these folks right here have been on the teams most of the time going down there, so they're all veterans, uh, I think they would say that uh, the things that we have seen from the outset weren't even seen when we began. We just couldn't imagine what is going on down there now. And that has taken the whole body of the church to be involved with that, not just us going down, but through a variety of uh, circumstances in which we raise funds and so forth. We've been able to uh, build a church down there. We've been able to sustain uh, a population of people that have grown over the years and uh, their pastor who has been there for uh, 24 years. So it's a, it's a marvelous example of this sermon that you've just heard. It is a real miracle. And the thing about it is you just have to keep that in mind when you go down there because when you're there, it's pretty daunting. The poverty there is uh, extreme. So here we have Carrie Benslake. And uh, this girl has been there from the very beginning and uh, has built floors down there with us. And uh, though you haven't been with us for the last few years, you're returning, and I really appreciate that, Carrie. Uh, I've always uh, counted on her to do the tough jobs. Uh, Donnell here is our worship leader down there. Uh, our, our big uh, moment in time there is Vacation Bible School for the children down there. Now, this year, I understand that every day we'll have at least 50 children there, so there's a big responsibility to take on. And Donnell always does it, just a uh, superb job with that. And Ray doesn't do anything. No. (laughs) Ray's the bulwark here. And uh, uh, (laughs) maybe it's more of the bull than the work. But anyway, we we need Ray and... uh, Glad to have him here. I don't know how many missions. You've probably gone on at least 10. So uh, I'm the essential guy. And then, of course, our our latest guy who has uh, joined us uh, and has been 